A couple of other things to mention right quick before we get started. The Young at Heart, our 55 and older group, went to Nashville this week. And uh, I may never walk again. Uh, It was a good trip. We had a real good time. Nobody got left behind or died. And that's always a good thing on those trips. Want to, uh, want to invite all of you that are 55 and older to become a part of our Young at Heart. I know some of you say that you, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be old enough for that ever, but I promise you at some point you get old enough for this, and we have a lot of good times. We have a lot of fun on the trips and on the things this coming Tuesday. Uh, this coming Tuesday at 1145, we've got Ron Carter, who's the Minister of Music down at Statesboro... First Baptist Church of Statesboro, right? Yeah, that's it. He will be here uh, presenting a musical uh, uh, program for us this coming Tuesday. So if you're young at heart age, come on in. And if you just happen to be free and want to come in and hear some good music, come down for that. We have good food and a good time. I want to thank James Lee and Linda and the Young at Heart Committee for all the hard work they put into the trip. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun, awful lot of fun. I also want to ask you if you would to sign up for the prayer vigil. Uh, everything we do depends on hearing from the Lord. And uh, we can rush out and do all of our own stuff and, and, and do what we do. But without prayer, uh, we're going to end up someplace where we probably don't want to be. So prayer vigil, the sign-up sheet's out in the vestibule. And there you go for that. Y'all make sure you sign up for that as well. Also, the, more, the scripture this morning, I want to go ahead and read that to you right quick as we prepare for worship so you can hear where we're going. Jesus is talking. It's in John chapter 5, verse 31. It says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life, in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time, and you've not seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. For you're not willing to come to me so that you do not have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I've come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Let's join our hearts together and go to God in prayer. Remembering that at First Baptist Church, there is a service going on in the chapel right this moment, that we have children downstairs that are worshiping, that God is being glorified in this whole house all over the place. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, it's a cold morning. 
think most of us probably would love to be wrapped up in a blanket, maybe by a fireplace drinking a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of coffee. We enjoy this weather. We thank you, Lord, for, for having the, I don't know, whatever it is, to give us seasons. We don't get bored. You keep changing things on us, and, and it's good. Lord, as the trees change color and the leaves fall off the trees and we all complain about having to rake, Lord, it's beautiful. And you did it with us in mind. I thank you, Lord, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you, Lord, for the children that you've brought to this church and for the senior adults, Lord, that have lived long lives and, and have been a testimony to your hard work in and around us and through us. We want to worship you this morning, Lord. We need your help, though. Lord, the spirit that resides in us, please speak to us. Help us to hear you. And help us, Lord, to lift up our voices to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you guys get excited about the stuff I get excited about, this is good. And if you don't, it's not. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's, it's one of these things that when I sit down and, 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 and study, I start seeing how all the parts fit together. And it's really, really kind of cool. But it takes a minute to put all the parts together. But once you see how it all fits, you lean back and go, ah, that's cool. So we've got to put a lot of parts together this morning. And we put a lot of parts together. I'm going to start by telling you a story, and it's a long story, and I'm going to read the story to you. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole wide world, but it sort of kind of gets to the point of where we're going. Uh, I hope you all like this. Actually, I hope you don't like the sermon. I hope you like the point that comes out of it. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. It was told by Tony Campolo. Uh, it happened late one night in Hawaii, and Tony couldn't sleep, so he went for a walk. And uh, this is what happened when he took a walk. It says, up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened it, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place that was open this time of the morning. The fat guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what do you want? I said, I want a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured me a cup of coffee, he wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and he grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. Now I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked all over the place. But when something's out front where I can see him, it would have been really nice if he could have used a pair of tongs or at least a pair, a piece of wax paper to put that donut on. I sat there munching on my donut, sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning. The door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous working women. Y'all supposed to go, hmm. There you go. It was a small place. They sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. 
I felt completely out of place. It was just about, excuse me, it's the cough drop or coughing, whichever one you want. I can give you the one here. Sorry about that. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39 years old. Her friend sitting beside her responded in a very nasty tone. So what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? You want, a, you want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, the woman said sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you that it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and I waited until the women left. Then I called the fat guy over from behind the counter and I asked him, do they come here every night? Yeah, yeah, they do, he said. The one right next to me, does she come in every night? Yeah, that's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why, why do you want to know? Because I heard that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for right here tomorrow night? A cute smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight, that's great. I like that. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday. This guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. Well, his wife came out of the back room all bright and smiling, and she said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who is really nice and kind, and nobody ever does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told him, if that's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning at about 2.30 and decorate the place, and I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry, which was the fat guy's name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. So the next morning, 2.30 in the morning, I was back at the diner. I'd picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out to the streets because by 3.15, every working girl in Honolulu was in that place. It was wall-to-wall -wall working girls and a sociologist preacher. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was sort of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her by the arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And as we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake came in with all the candles, she lost it. She just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles myself. And after an endless few seconds, he did. And then he handed her a knife and he told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Cut the cake. 
Agnes looked down at the cake. Then without taking her eyes off of it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it, is it all right with you if I... I mean, is it okay if I kind of... What I want to ask you is, is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is, is it okay if we don't eat it all right, right away? Harry shrugged and he answered, sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take the cake home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, I promise, honest. And she got up off the stool, picked up the cake, carrying it like it was holy grail, walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the closed door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, What do y'all say we all pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist preacher to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of working girls in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning, but then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over the counter, and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments when just the right words came out of my mouth, I said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for working women at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a minute, and he almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. I absolutely love that story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole wide world. And the fact that it's true story makes it even cooler. Tony, Tony Campolo tells that story in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party. Years ago, I read everything that Tony Campolo ever wrote at, up to that time. Over time, Tony went a little more liberal and I went a little bit more conservative. But that's okay because Tony loves Jesus and Jesus covers a multitude of sins. We can all live through that, you know. Story makes you feel good, don't it? Makes me feel good. Makes me want to do something like that. Wouldn't you love to do something to help somebody who had made some bad decisions in their lives and had a million bad breaks because of it, and you get the God-given chance, because that's what that was. That was a divine appointment. It was a God-given opportunity to show Jesus to somebody that probably wasn't going to see Jesus anywhere else. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you hope that if that kind of chance ever presented itself to you, if it ever presented itself to you, that you'd have the guts to do it. Don't you wish? Don't you hope? Don't you think? Because see, the rules that we impose on ourselves suck the life out of our faith. 
The rules that we impose on one another suck the life out of us. And having a party, a birthday party, for working girls at 3.30 in the morning in a greasy spoon in Hawaii breaks a whole host of rules, a whole bunch of rules. And in the scripture that we read just a few minutes ago, Jesus is responding to the trouble that he was in because he broke the rules. You see, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years because of some dumb, immature, wrong decision that he made that cost him his ability to walk. A guy that I bet felt like Agnes. Because Agnes didn't wake up one morning when she was a 12-year-old girl and go, you know what, one of these days I'm going to be a working girl in Hawaii. You know that was not her career choice. But she made some kind of choice in her life that ended up putting her in that place. And you know there had to be times like that moment where she had her first birthday party in her life where she leaned back and thought, why is it this way? And this guy sat there for 38 years going, why is my life this way? I can't believe this happened to me. How could I be so dumb? And then Jesus comes along and heals this guy. And the crowd ought to have been absolutely dumbstruck. Jesus performs this miracle in front of all these people. They ought to be whispering to one another saying, wow, can you believe this? Do you remember? I've lived with him all of my life. I remember the day he did that. Look, he's walking around. Who is this Jesus guy? What in the world? Dude, who is Jesus? Who is this man? <coughs> but instead they whispered, who in the world does he think he is? Not about the man walking, but about Jesus. Who does he think he is? Have you ever heard this phrase? Listen, listen. That's not the way we do things here. Have you ever heard that? That's not the way we do things. That's what they said. That's not the way we do things. It's the Sabbath day. It's a holy day. And here Jesus is, comes in on a Sabbath day. He had six days he could have come in here and healed that guy. But instead, he came today. And he healed the guy today. Who does he think he is? And Jesus, Jesus said to them, you guys don't get it. Man, I'm telling you, this just eats me alive he says, look, you guys were thrilled to go to a conference. You were thrilled to go out in the wilderness and see John the Baptist. Hear him preach. And you got out there and you got all fired up and your hands were in the air. And you were acting a little bit Pentecostal while you were there. Woo, hallelujah, go Jesus. I mean, go, go John the Baptist. Go John the Baptist. You're the man. Maybe I've gotten baptized by him. And then you come back to here and absolutely nothing changed. You scour the scripture to find all of the rules that everybody's got to follow. You get together with other folks to compare your rules, to make sure you've got them all right. And you slap each other on the back for being so good and for keeping all the rules. And you tell everybody how smart you are and everybody has said how good you are. And yet in all of your studying, you miss the point all of these scriptures point to me, Jesus said. They all point to me. 
I come with the authority of my father. I do the same things my father does. I bring life because people are dying inside. You know what? I don't know what the word to use. The one, one of the most unusual, strange, odd, different, interesting things about my job is is that every now and then you'll see one of you guys pull me off to the side. Or I'll go off with a senior adult group or I'll go off with another group and somebody will pull me off the side and tell me the story of their lives and I find out that everybody in here is as broken as any one human being can be. And yet we come in and we dress up and we act all that. When inside we're screaming for something and Jesus says what you're screaming for is me. You're screaming for me. You've got to have me. But no, you've got to have your rules. I come with the authority of my father. I do the same thing my father does. I bring life, but that doesn't matter to me. What matters or doesn't matter to you, what matters to you is getting a pat on the back from each other. And the Jews studied the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, in minute detail. In their studies, they came up with 613 rules. 613 rules that they had to follow in order to be right with God. And one of those rules was, is you don't work on the Sabbath day. And they believed, like we believe, we don't say this out loud. We don't preach this in our churches. We don't talk about this in Sunday school. But this is how we live. We believe that if we live right and we follow the rules and we do the right things, God will bless us. And that's the way we live. We might not say it out loud, but that's exactly how we do. If we follow the rules, God will bless us. God does not work that way. The first five books of the Bible are the books of Moses. For a better part of that book, he's the main character. But most importantly, Moses was the one person on the planet who met God and sat down with God. He was in God's presence when he got the Ten Commandments. All of the rules and regulations we find in the first five books of the Bible, God gave those to Moses. And they worked so hard to follow Moses' law, they studied it relentlessly, held each other accountable, enforced discipline to the point of stoning people to death because of that law. And in all of it, Jesus says, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And he says, don't think that I'm going to accuse you to my father. Your accuser is Moses. You set your hope on him, but if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote this about me. Now, this is where when we study this in Sunday school and everywhere else we study this stuff, we just slip right on by this and just hightail it off. But Jesus says right here in the scripture, Jesus says, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. Now, I don't know about you. I've read the Bible from cover to cover a couple of times. I've read the first five books of the Bible several times, studied it in seminary in detail. And you know what? I never saw Jesus' name in the first five books of the Bible. Jesus is not listed there. Now, what is the man talking about? Have you ever read Jesus' name in the first five books of the Bible? Literally Jesus? See Jesus in there? So what is he talking about? Where do we see Jesus in this? Well, when we start studying for it, we find that when God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses, God sort of 
displayed his glory in a little different way than he does now. On top of a mountain, there were clouds and lightning and peals of thunder. And God's presence was very, very frightening for those Israelite, Israelite children. The people were terrified. And they were afraid that God was going to speak to them. And I understand that. I'm telling you right now, I think I said this a little while ago because I heard somebody say it once. I don't, I don't want God to speak to me. Because if I'm in the house by myself... And I hear a voice that says, Randy, uh-uh. That's how they felt. Don't let him talk to us. If he talks to us, we're going to die. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 18, you hear these words. The Lord your God, listen, will raise up. From you, for you, a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, they've spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth And he will tell them everything I command him, and I will hold accountable everyone. Uh, I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. They studied so hard to make sure that they got every single solitary rule right that they couldn't catch this one sentence. I will raise up for them a prophet. That prophet is Jesus. That's who he's referring to. I will raise up for them a prophet from among them, and he will say whatever I tell him to say. What has Jesus told us in the book of John already? I only tell you what I've been told. I only do what I've, se- what I've seen. This is exactly what he says. But listen, they're, they're told, I will raise up for them a prophet. We know that's Jesus, but they'd rather have rules. Do you know why? Because rules are easier than Jesus. Aren't I right? I was a member of the Ministerial Association of Monroe County. We were meeting at the farmhouse restaurant. It was owned by a brother. He was a Christian pastor. And we ate at his restaurant. I made a suggestion one time that we eat at the restaurant across the square. It had a bar in it. It wasn't run by a brother. And the minister said, you have lost your mind. And I said, well, that, isn't that the place we're needed? And they said, if we eat over there, we'll end up losing our jobs. Yeah, rules are easier than Jesus because we can follow the rules. But when it comes to Jesus, he makes us do crazy things. 
Jesus will tell them everything I command him, God said. I will hold everyone who does not listen to him accountable. Your accuser is Moses, he says. Your accuser is Moses. What made Moses so great? What made Moses a rock star? Did he keep all 613 rules? Is that what the deal was? Is that God gave him the rule? Think, I want you to think about this for a second, okay? I want you to think. Come on, everybody be with me. Think about this. It's a thinking man sermon. We're thinking this morning. I want you to think about this for just a second. We have said, you have said, I, I bet you, I bet you, I bet you that you have said, because I've said myself, if God would say this to me face to face, I will do it. If I could hear an angel like they heard an angel back then, I would be certain to do this. Moses sat down in front of God and got 613 rules that he put in a book. You would think he heard him face to face. You would think he'd follow all those rules, right? Okay, well, let's, give, let's cut him a little bit of slack. Before he got the Ten Commandments, he was a murderer. Y'all know the stories, those of you that have been in Sunday school since dirt. You know that Moses was a murderer. He came out, of, came out saw uh, 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 an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew, and so he killed him. And then when he found out that he was going to get found out, he went, on, he went running to hide, and he went out in the wilderness, and that's where he got to the burning bush. So now he treated God like a nominating committee. See, because God was in the burning bush... And God said, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he says, well, I don't speak real good, Lord. And Lord says, I know that. I created you. So Aaron can go with you. And he literally says, he literally says, let me see if I can find it. Where was it? He literally says to God, literally says, please, Lord, send somebody else. That's what we say to a nominating committee all the time when they come and ask us to do something. Just get somebody else. It'll be okay. Lord, send somebody else. And the Lord said to, to, to Moses, take Aaron, hush, go get to work. So the worst thing Moses did, the worst thing he did, okay, the first thing he did is a murderer. The second thing, he argues with God. The third thing that he does that is, is the worst thing that kept him from going to the promised land is they needed water. We all that have been in, this, in church forever know the story. They needed water. Uh, God told Moses to take his staff to go to a particular rock and speak to that rock. You speak to that rock and water will come out. And instead Moses did what preachers and other leaders do. People gripe and grumble all the time. People were no different back then. They griped and grumbled at Moses. He was all upset at him. He's so mad at him he could spit. And so he walks up to this rock that God told him to come to, that water will come out of it if you speak to it. And Moses turns to the people. Instead of saying, God's going to deliver this water out of this rock for you people, he turns to it and he says, do we, me and Aaron, have to get water out of this rock for you? And then he hit it twice with a stick. Now, if I'd been God, I'd have messed with me some Moses right that minute because there'd have been no water coming out of that rock. Or maybe the water would have waited 30 minutes before it came out. There'd have been no water coming out of the rock, but Lord let water come out of the rock. But then he told Moses, listen, dude, I hate it for you, but you're not going in the promised land because you took what I did and claimed it as your own. And I won't have that. I won't have that at all. 
And I always thought that wasn't fair. You know, all the things that Moses did for God. And then God rubs his nose in it. You go to Deuteronomy, where is it, 34. And God leads Moses up to Mount Nebo, and he shows him all of the land that they're going to. And it had to be a supernatural thing because the mountain wasn't high enough to see all of the area that it says that he could see. So God supernaturally shows Moses all of this land that he's going to give to the Hebrew children. He shows all of this. That's all of this, and he says, "This is what. I'm, this is the promise that 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 I'm given to these folks. And you're on the on the edge of it, Moses. But you can't go in. And then Moses dies. And one of the things I've thought about is, well, maybe the reason Moses died is just old and 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 decrepit, and he wasn't physically capable of taking the people in the promised land. But the scripture says this: Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak. His vitality had not left him. Moses was a strong, healthy man when God called him home. Now, if the Pharisees were right, follow me, thinking person sermon, hang on. If the Pharisees were right about having to follow all of the rules to be acceptable to God, then Moses did not follow the rules, did he? Did he? No, he didn't. And if he didn't follow all the rules that made him a righteous man, then he was not a righteous man, right? And if he's not a righteous man and you die and you're not a righteous person, what happens to you? You're eternally separated from God, we say, in a place called hell, which is where you would expect Moses to be, right? Except, except, now this is weird. Straight out of the Bible, but this is weird. Y'all hang on, I'll explain it the best to understand it. It's in the book of Jude, one chapter long. So it's Jude verse 9. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. And I told you, that's strange. Says an angel, the archangel Michael was disputing with the devil in an argument for Moses. Because the devil was there, the stories are told in the early church that the devil was there accusing Moses because Moses was a murderer. And we know the scripture says that you're not supposed to murder. Jesus repeats that in Matthew Chapter 5, verse 21 says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Moses was subject to judgment. He committed murder. Satan was standing there before God saying, He belongs to me. And the angel says, You wait a cotton picking minute. The Lord rebuke you. Why? Why? Because Moses believed in Jesus. How's that possible? He didn't know Jesus by name. No, he didn't. But Moses believed that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. Had nothing to do with the rules that he followed. Had everything to do that he believed that God was going to send a deliverer the deliverer that we know as Jesus the Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, how do I know this for sure? 
All you folks that have been in Sunday school since dirt, y'all remember that thing called the transfiguration? Big, fancy church word. Can't even use it in Scrabble. It's got too many letters. Transfiguration. Who showed up at the transfiguration? Jesus, Elijah, and how about that? Moses was in heaven. Why was Moses in heaven? Because he believed that a Messiah was coming that God would deliver. And God gives life. Now what's the point of all this? When all around this stuff, what's the point of all of this? When you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to do odd things. You're just going to. When you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to do odd things. And when you fall in love with rules, you're not. It's that simple. You'll do what everybody expects. You'll say what everybody expects. And you'll go where everybody expects. But when you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to do strange stuff. And see, I'm not saying rules are bad. We need rules to keep order, to have boundaries for civilization. Without rules, we'd be barbarians. But rules are for people, not people for rules. And when we end up worshiping the rules, we end up missing the people. Especially those rules that we make up ourselves. Think of the rules that Compolo broke that morning. I want you, y'all be honest. Don't come, please don't come to church and, and be ninnies. That just drives me so crazy. We come to church and, and we go into a separate mindset when we come into church and we think completely differently. And that's just absolutely insane. We are the same people in this room that we are outside this room. Every last one of us are. We go outside, we're one person, we come in here, you know what? You are the same person. You can smile, grin, part your hair different. I got a haircut, y'all know that. I'm gonna let it grow out. Everybody says it's horrible, I know. You do all this stuff, it's okay. We are who we are. So think about how you think about stuff outside this room, okay? So Tony Campolo, a preacher sociologist, goes downtown into the shady district of town. Every one of us knows that's ridiculous to start with. Anybody in here want to go walk through the worst part of Atlanta by yourself at night? Any of you? We'll take a party. Y'all ready? He's a minister. I can hear somebody saying, I can tell me I'm wrong. I can hear somebody saying, what's a preacher doing in the red light district anyway? Tell me I'm wrong. Insomnia, getting himself a donut. He talked to strangers. Mama told me not to talk to strangers. He threw a party for one of those people, a working girl, a girl that we would call a tramp. How many rules did he break? Now, here's the last thing, and we're done. When Tony told Harry, he was the preacher at a church that threw parties for working girls. Do you remember what Harry said? No, you don't. There is no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. 
I'd join a church like that. Harry saw Jesus, and he knew where he'd be. The rules or the birthday cake? Which showed Harry Jesus? How did, Je- how did Harry see Jesus? Because Tony followed the rules? Or because they had a birthday cake for Agnes? And to quote my favorite preacher, you think about that. Let's pray. Lord, we sang this song to you a few minutes ago. And Lord, I know the sermon was for me because I know a million times I have not done what you've called me to do because I was afraid of what somebody would say. Lord, standing here this moment, I can remember you bring to memory times that I had such an easy chance to show somebody who you were. And I was afraid. I was afraid of what people would say. And Lord, I'd rather have the applause of men than the gratitude of my father in those moments. And I'm ashamed of myself. And I'm sorry. And Lord, I'll do my best to repent. Father, we sang this song. Cause it to ring in our ears. There is a name I love to hear, Lord. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. I don't know who you are and I don't know why you're here. I know we're supposed to come to church on Sunday. The Bible tells us not to forsake gathering together every week or regularly. I don't know what you've heard about church or what you think about church this morning or what's going through your mind. I don't care if you like me or you like somebody else or you don't like anybody else. I don't, I don't really care. I don't care what's, what people have told you that, that hurt you over the years or might stop you from believing or might stop anything. I want you to understand that Jesus has told us in the book of John over and over and over again, I came to give you life. And I believe it with all of my heart. And this morning, if you want life, you have come to the place where the life giver lives He wants you to trust him. He will take you on a journey that won't be like you think it's going to be. It never is. And you'll go to places you didn't want to go, and sometimes they won't be pleasant places. But in the middle of all of that, 
he will give you life and you'll enjoy being in his presence and I invite you this morning to ask Jesus to be your savior and come and tell me about it and this morning I ask you if you're a church member guys we over the years we build up a thick thick layer of rules around our heart that's like concrete And when God's spirit moves inside of us to do something, we fight the urge inside of us because of what somebody might think or someone might say. Let's repent of that this morning. And let's get over it. And let's tell the Lord this morning, you show me and I'll do it. I will be a living sacrifice. And I'll let you renew my mind. And watch him use you to give people life. Because that's the business we're in. Stand as we sing.